Hi, I'm Elisa Preston. You're listening to Praise Through It Together, our summer 2021 series that is a community extension of what I normally do solo on my podcast, Praise Through It. In this space, I always hope to encourage you. I hope to help you see an old burden in a new way and to help you see the light that inevitably shines in your daily grind. This conversation is our last one for this inaugural Praise Through It Together series. Sheila Gregoire gifts us with her presence, her knowledge, insight, wisdom, and humor. She is one of three co-authors of the book, The Great Sex Rescue. She has a passion for helping women reclaim joy and intimacy within their marriage. We talk marriage, sex, gender roles. She talks about how she and her team surveyed 20,000 women for this book project. 20,000. And the nerd that I am, I asked about that process. So stick around if you're like me and want those details. She is the face behind to love, honor, and vacuum.com, the largest single blogger marriage blog. She's also an award-winning author of nine books, including The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. Sheila has a master's in public administration and master of arts in sociology, both from Queens University Sheila built the successful blog to love, honor, and vacuum with traffic of 1 million page views a month. Guys, she has a message and it is a good one. Her email list is 45,000 strong. So if you're not one of those 45,000, we can get on that today. And her social media reaches over 100,000. Her podcast, Bear Marriage, has more than 5,000 downloads each week. Sheila has spoken at churches and conferences around the globe. She is a frequent contributor at Family Life Canada events. Her latest book is the one that we talk about today that I mentioned, The Great Sex Rescue, and it's been featured in New York Times Book Review, Publishers Weekly, and The Washington Post. She has bylines at Religion News Service, Relevant Magazine, and other news sources. Sheila and her husband, Keith, a pediatrician, live in Belleville, Ontario, They have two grown daughters and one very adorable grandson who live down the road. She enjoys hiking, bird watching, RV camping trips, and board games. And she knits even in line at the grocery store. So here is my fun and informative conversation with Sheila Gregoire. All right. Well, hey, Sheila, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Elisa. Good to see you. You too. I am so excited to have you on. I'm so excited that you are our final praise through it together for the summer because you have such a powerful message. So can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do and we'll go from there. Yeah. So I am the main blogger at to love, honor and vacuum.com. I started out as a mommy blogger back in 2008. So I was doing all like the parenting and the housework and the organizing stuff. And then I found that the more I talked about sex, the more my traffic grew. <laughs> so oh, okay. I kind of became like the sex person, which was a weird thing. And it still is. Um, <laughs> but my first big book on sex, the good girl's guide to great sex was out in 2012. And since then, I've really honed my message. We've done a ton of research and just trying to help women um, recover what God intended for this area of our lives. 
Oh, I love it so much. I learned about you in March. I read an article. I was on vacation with my husband and he was picking up our sushi. And I read an article or something that you had written about some of the older marriage and sex and dating and relationship books and how Mm -hmm. just sexist they were and how patriarchal they were and how unhealthy they were. And it offended me at first because I was like, but that's what I based so much of my marriage on. But then the more I read about it, and then you have this beautiful series on Instagram, fixed it for you. Yes. I love it so much where you take these unhealthy statements. And when I read what I thought was okay, 10, 15 years ago, I'm just like, Mm -hmm. who is that person? And the one thing I wanted to make sure I quoted that you recently wrote on Instagram was, Uh, Let's get back to Jesus and just be healthy and good. I just thought that was awesome. It was the end of a tweet that you made into an Instagram that was talking about Mm -hmm. pastors and the sheep and the sheep and the shepherds and making sure that we're all cared for. So tell me how that fits. Tell me how your work fits in. Let's get back to Jesus and be healthy and good. Talk to me about why I was offended. Talk to me about all this stuff. Okay. Well, let me tell you about naive Sheila. Can I tell you about naive Sheila? Yeah, please do. So, so here's naive Sheila, who's probably very similar to naive Elisa. (laughs) So naive Sheila grew up in the evangelical church and loved Jesus and got married. And, you know, sex was a little bit difficult, but we figured it out. We had some major challenges. We figured it out, had a really good marriage. I was writing stuff about marriage. I was in this space. And I just assumed everybody around me loved Jesus in the same way. And if we all love Jesus, we must be the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so sure. I would blog about what I felt was healthy marriage and, you know, some of the research that I had done in university and in, in some of my post-grad studies and things like that. And I just assumed that everybody else who was writing Christian stuff was also using like the healthy resources and the healthy studies that were out there, because there's so Mm -hmm. much great stuff in academic Mm -hmm. literature, etc. But I never read them, because I have this real fear of plagiarizing. So I had never actually read any Christian books, except for the very few that I read before I got married. Okay, so here I am. And my husband and I were speaking at marriage conferences, and we would hold up love and respect, because we were told it was a good book. And we tell people to read love and respect. And Mm -hmm. we would hold up, you know, every man's battle if you're fighting porn. Um, And we just did this because everybody did it because hey, they're Christians. So they must be like me, they must be healthy. And then it was January of 2019. I was supposed to be writing some blog posts and I just had a migraine and I didn't want to work (laughs) and I was procrastinating and I was on Twitter and I saw this discussion from a bunch of women saying that they need respect, not just love. And they were referring to love and respect, the book, Mm -hmm. which is like the most used marriage study in evangelicalism in North America. And I thought to myself, you know, I do actually own that book. Like maybe I should read it. It would give me a good way to keep procrastinating. So I went and got it. And I I just read the sex chapter because I'm a sex person and it was only like 11 pages long. And what I read was, if your husband is typical, he has a need that you don't have. Uh Okay. And that the husbands need physical release through sexual intimacy, Mm -hmm. whereas the wives need only emotional release. Mm -hmm. And um, you need to give it to him or he's going to come under satanic attack if Mm -hmm. he doesn't get physical release. Mm -hmm. And most affairs are caused by women not giving men sex. And you need to understand his struggle with lust. And that was the entire message. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I never realized before you started pointing it out. 
I had never realized mm-hmm. because just like you, we just, I just took what I was taught and I was like, oh, okay, that must be how it is. But that's not how it is at all. Yeah. Like nothing, not a single word about how women can and should feel pleasure. In fact, mm-hmm. he even bragged about how short sex is, like how mm-hmm. it doesn't take any time at all. Right. Like mm-hmm. anyone who's aiming for women's pleasure knows that it has to take us like longer mm-hmm. than that. Sure. Right? sure. Like, there was just no understanding that sex is intimate. It's mm-hmm. not just a physical release thing. It's a it's a true knowing of each other. Like it talks about in Genesis 4, like Adam knew his wife Eve. Mm-hmm. It's that same word that David uses in the Psalms when he says, search me and know me, oh God. Mm-hmm. Right? Like God is telling us sex is a deep, intimate knowing of one another. We know that it's supposed to be for both people. And yet that's not how it's portrayed. And so we started looking at some of the other marriage books and we saw very similar messages and we got really concerned. <laughs> and so we just decided that we would do the largest study that's ever been done. We surveyed 20,000 women, did mm-hmm. some huge follow-up um, focus groups. Uh, we did follow-up surveys and it's all in our book, The Great Sex Rescue. And we identified four big beliefs that are really common in evangelical bestsellers that hurt women's rates of orgasm, that hurt marital satisfaction and that cause women's sexual pain to increase. Mm. So you're not just talking about the physical side. All of that of what you just said is the physical, the mental health, the emotional health, the intimacy, the spiritual health. It's all mixed in. And that's what God intended. And we just got so far away from that. Did I hear that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the whole idea that sex is about a man's physical release is in a number of our books. It certainly is in Love and Respect. In Every Man's Battle, he tells women, um, do the right thing, give him release. In Power of a Praying Wife, it says how much men need release. Like it's this portraying of sex Mm -hmm. as only about that for the husband. And it's Mm -hmm. the misunderstanding of how sex is portrayed biblically. Mm-hmm. where it's it's always it's supposed to be this intimate component mm-hmm. and it's not just release for the husband it's supposed to be mutually pleasurable mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's like we've missed everything every man's battle even calls women the methadone for their husband's sex addictions it says when he quits cold turkey be like a merciful vial of methadone for him oh that's right you were that was on your fixed it for you series Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I real uh, my husband and I really enjoy those because they're so on point. And again, when I would read these sentences that I once thought were fine, or I must have glazed over them, or I just must have been, I mean, I just was entrenched in what I had always been taught, and I wasn't brave enough, or my eyes weren't open enough to see things differently. Because some of the book has some of those books have good and okay messages. But I completely agree. I mean, when you get to that point of convincing men and women over and over and over that this very intimate thing that's meant for the both of you is really just meant for one that is so harmful. Mm -hmm to every aspect Mm -hmm. of a relationship. And then I really believe that the home, the family is what propels goodness and health into the world. And intimacy is such a key component of marital health. And if you have children that you're raising, you know, how are you going to raise them if your satisfaction rate is really low or if you're in pain a lot? Absolutely. I mean, this is important stuff. (laughs) I completely agree. You know, God, God made the family 
to be this image, this picture, like he made marriage to be this picture mm-hmm. of how he feels about us. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be this transactional relationship where mm-hmm. you let him have release and then he will talk to you or something the way that a lot of books portray it. No, this is supposed to be this joining, you know, this great, it's supposed to be this great passion. And that's what's missing when you make sex into an obligation for women. Yes. And along with that, I think of the competitiveness of how, you know, just along with the transactional, oh, well, I had seven transactions last week. How many did you have that can be perpetuated when everybody's trying to one up each other? And that's not healthy either, because then it just it puts women in the less than state. Because Mm -hmm. if we're always the one that are expected to meet someone, you know, another person's need then we're in the less than state. And it just gives such an imbalance of power. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be a power struggle. It should be, like you said, a joining a team effort. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what first Corinthians seven says, you know, it's funny, because those are the verses that are the like, probably the second most weaponized verses against women in scripture, you know, the first Mm -hmm. being submit to your husband, Mm -hmm. but this do not deprive one another. That's used so much to tell women you can't say no. But if you actually look at those verses, that's not what it's saying. Oh, teach me. Like, like, okay, so it starts off with um, the husband must fulfill his marital duties to his wife. So the the merit, so the wife's needs are mentioned first, and you know, and likewise the wife to the husband. Um, the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to the husband. And the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to the wife. Mm-hmm. So do not deprive each other, except by mutual consent and for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and fasting. But then come together again, so that you won't be tempted by your lack of self control. Okay, couple of things to notice there. Yes, tell me <laughs> everything that the husband is given, the wife is given to. So it's perfectly mutual. And in Roman times, husbands had complete authority over their wives' bodies to the extent that they could murder their wives and not be prosecuted. Mm. And in the middle of that culture, Paul walks in and he says the husband has authority over the wife's body, but everybody already knew that. But then he says, but the wife has authority over the husband's body. Like that's revolutionary. I don't think we understand how revolutionary that is. Yeah. As Jesus intended for his presence and his message to be revolutionary. Mm -hmm. And we, we take our current context and that's how we read our scripture and we completely forget about the historical context. And I'm not judging anyone. I am, I am not great about knowing historical context, which is why I said, teach me, teach me. Um, yeah. Because it just, it tends to not stick. I'm not so much into the ancient Rome and ancient Greece. So, so I love when women like you can teach me, but we need to not take the scripture in our current context. We have to put it back mm-hmm. into its own time. And that's how and we what does understand it. it. Yeah, And what does it even mean to deprive? Because remember, if we think sex is only about his physical release, like if we if we think the definition of sex is what we would normally call intercourse, mm-hmm. then she could be lying there making a grocery list in her head, right? Like, sure. what am I going to, you know, she could be lying there in emotional turmoil. Mm-hmm. She could be lying there in physical pain and it would still count as having sex. Mm-hmm. But if instead we take the biblical definition of sex, which is an encounter, which is intimate mm-hmm. and it's mutually pleasurable, mm-hmm. you know, then this is, it's not only intercourse. That's probably a part of it, mm-hmm. you know, most sure. likely and a good part, but it's not the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> and, and, and so if, if all you're doing 
is giving him one-sided intercourse, you are already being deprived and those verses should not be used against you. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I mean, and I mean, I am all for calling out weaponization of scripture. It should never be done. Mm -hmm. That's never what it was intended for. And so I'm, I wish, I mean, I can't take notes now because we're recording. So I'm sure when I'm listening back, I'll be taking notes. (laughs) Um, And all that you just said, one thing I'm thinking about is I'm going through the curriculum to become a certified Enneagram coach. And in the, you know, the Enneagram is an ancient personality typing system. It is dated back to ancient times. And there are three subtypes for every number, the self-preservation, the social, and the sexual. But the sexual subtype Mm -hmm. is also called the one-to-one subtype. And in each number, it's not just about the transaction of sex. It's about intimacy and not even necessarily with your partner, sometimes with a friend, sometimes with another person. So the intimacy, that word is so nuanced. And like you just said, thinking of sex as a transaction is just one small piece of it. And it's so nuanced and there's just so much more to it that can enhance everything. Yeah. When we think of sex as that transaction, as that obligation, it actually has real harm that we can now measure on women. And this is what was so great about our our research in the Great Sex Rescue is we surveyed 20,000 women. And what we did was we asked them first about their marital satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And then we asked them about their sexual satisfaction. And then we listed a whole bunch of different common evangelical teachings about marriage and asked if they'd ever been taught them and if they'd ever believed them in different times in their lives. And then we were able to measure, okay, if people believed this, what effect did it have on their sexual satisfaction? Because we could look at people who did believe it and people Mm -hmm. who didn't believe it and compare them. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to identify four big teachings. There were other ones too, but four big ones that we talk about in the great sex rescue that are really toxic, but by far the worst one mm-hmm. is this obligation sex message mm-hmm. that a wife is obligated to give her husband sex when he wants it. And to illustrate how bad this is, a lot of people don't know the word vaginismus. Okay. I don't know that word. Okay. Do you know erectile dysfunction? Yes. Everybody. Yes knows erectile dysfunction, right? You Uh watch Price is Right, Wheel of Fortune, you know erectile dysfunction. It's always in the commercials. But vaginismus among couples under the age of 45 is way more common. What is it? In Christian circles, it is it is an involuntary spasming or a tightening of the wall the muscles in the vaginal wall such that penetration is really painful if not impossible. So really painful sex because you're way too tight and you can't relax. And we've known for over 50 years in the gynecological research Mm -hmm. that Christians suffer from this at twice the rate of the general population. Wow. And so talk more about this. Yes, mm -hmm. keep going. And so we found that roughly 22% of women have experienced Mm -hmm. vaginismus, like evangelical women, 7% to the point that penetration is impossible. So this is a, this is a big problem. And Mm -hmm. and often women don't even realize that they have this until their honeymoon and then they're blown away. They don't have a word for it. They don't know what's going on. And it's quite devastating. And Mm -hmm. by the way, if Mm -hmm. you are suffering from that, please mm-hmm. see a pelvic floor physiotherapist because okay. there is help. So just all our listeners see a pelvic floor physiotherapist and please read the great sex rescue. Because what we found is that the reason Christians have a higher rate is that a lot of our beliefs actually contribute to vaginismus. And among them is the obligation sex message. When women believe that they are obligated to give their husband sex when they want it, mm-hmm. their chance of experiencing vaginismus increases at almost the same statistical rate as if they had been abused. 
Because the obligation sex message and abuse say the same thing to women. They yes, say the you brain don't pattern matter. Is, mm-hmm. Yeah, the brain pattern. He is has the, the right to use you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why I love thinking about brain patterns and what different emotions or different experiences, how they end up traveling down that same neural pathway, because to the brain, they are the same. And so how they just come out in all these different expressions. And so if we think about how we hold stress in our body and how our shoulders tighten and our lower back tightens, I mean, I never thought of that happening to what is the, I can't even say the word. Can you say that one more time? (laughs) Vaginismus. Vaginismus. I would never think of that ever. I would just think, oh, I'm tired. Or I would think, oh, it's my time of the month. I must be going. And blaming anything on hormones is kind of a pet peeve for me because I just think Mm -hmm. women should be allowed to feel how they feel. And I know we have hormonal imbalances, but when we blame Mm -hmm. a bad mood or an inability to be intimate just on hormones, I think that's also unfair. And anyway, back to what you were saying. When we think about the stress in our bodies and how much our body tightens up, I guess, of course, it would also happen. Yeah. In an intimate situation. Yeah. The body keeps the score, right? Like our bodies interpret the obligation sex message as trauma because it is traumatic. And, um, and so we need to find a healthier way of talking about it. And here's, what's interesting is like, if you look at most of our evangelical bestsellers, the big thing that they want women to know is you need to have sex as often as possible because Mm -hmm. he really needs it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they're defining frequency as the main problem. But what we found is that If women enjoy sex, if women feel emotionally close to their husbands during sex, if they have high marital satisfaction, if they're not experiencing sexual pain, and if their husband isn't using porn, Mm -hmm. they pretty much have sex quite frequently. Like -hmm. (laughs) like when sex is good and fulfilling for women, the frequency takes care of itself. And so we're focusing on the wrong thing. We're telling women, just do it more often, do it more often, do it more often, instead of asking, why doesn't she want to do it? Yes. And that's like, what what's I, the that, issue. Yeah. That's what I see in all your writing is you're not trying to bash all these things. You're just like, Hey guys, we've had the wrong focus. So let's move over here. Mm-hmm. And kind of like, prob- I mean, probably like when Paul said it in ancient Rome, anything that is counterculture is going to be received like an unwelcome splash in the face, but it's very much mm-hmm. necessary. Just like what Paul said. I mean, I think every, you know, everything that you're saying is very much necessary. And, you know, we have a daughter, she's six. So obviously we have different conversations with her about her body now than we will have when she's 16. But sometimes when I share some of the messages that I grew up with as a female with my husband, he is appalled. And he's like, women really feel that way or think that way. And I'll say yes, because of this message or that message. Or for so many of us, it's just taking down these things that we thought were true and right when we see that they're really not healthy at all. Yeah. And that's actually something that we found is like, we are not man bashing. A lot of people think we're, you know, oh, they're just feminist man bashing. No, not at all. Like, because we actually think we have a very high view of men Mm -hmm. because a lot of these books say things like all men struggle with lust. It's every man's battle. And the only way out is for her to be his methadone. And it's very dehumanizing both to the woman, but also to the man, because men have the Holy Spirit just as much as women. You know, every man's battle says about male sexual sin that they got there naturally simply by being male. And in a companion book, uh, Every Heart Restored, they say men don't naturally have that Christian view of sex. 
Like they're talking as mm-hmm. if God just simply made men wrong or more barbaric. And that's another thing mm-hmm. I, I love about your writings. That's what I love about the Enneagram is that it transcends gender. And it just says, hey, God made us human and he didn't he didn't make you more barbaric. He didn't make you more gentle for these specific reasons. We're putting those in boxes because like for very antiquated patriarchal reasons and you're doing the opposite like you're you're saying no look this is where we are we are even because that is who god mm-hmm. made us to be and mm-hmm. you know you're you just i mean it seems to me from your writing and from your the stuff i see on instagram you just have a huge heart for healthy marriages and you've chosen sex as you know your yep. nuance <laughs> to help so i think yes. it's, yeah no i I have seen the backlash that says that you're a man bashing and I a hundred percent disagree because you're right. You're like, well, you're calling them barbarians and cavemen and we're saying, no, God made them for more than that. Yeah. And men are just as capable of intimacy and need intimacy mm-hmm. just as much as women do. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this idea that only women need like emotional connection is just wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of men have more issues with feeling their emotions and understanding their emotions. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like studies have certainly found that, but that's not something innate to being men. That's just how men are raised in our culture. Mm-hmm. And the healthiest men are those who can express their emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and be so comfortable I, I receiving others expressions of their emotions. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the most harmful things that our Christian marriage and sex books often do is we talk about everything in gendered terms. Like you Mm -hmm. were saying, the Enneagram doesn't do that. Well, we created a a 12 point rubric of healthy sexuality. So 12 markers of healthy sexuality teaching. And we rated the top 13 best-selling um, evangelical books. Well, we actually had 16 chosen, but three didn't talk about sex enough. So we excluded them. <laughs> but anyway, so we rated these books and the ones that scored the worst mm-hmm. were the ones that tended to talk about everything in gendered terms. So things mm-hmm. like love and respect, his needs, her needs for women only every man's battle. Like they see everything in gendered terms where men are like this and women are like this. Mm-hmm. And the fact is it doesn't work that way. You know, like my great grandfather, mm-hmm. he was mm-hmm. five foot six. And my great grandmother was five foot 11 and nobody like they didn't have scientists knocking on their door saying, how is that possible? Because we all know that men are taller than women. No, because even though we know that most men are taller than most women, it doesn't mean that every man is taller than every woman. And we Mm -hmm. instinctively get that. Right. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to sex and marriage, we don't. We say that men want sex and women don't. Men have a libido and women don't. Men struggle with porn and women don't. Men are visually stimulated and women aren't. And none of that is true. You know, it's all much more nuanced, (laughs) much more nuanced. And everything that is gender based is not as sustaining or not as sustainable. When you think about a healthy Mm -hmm. marriage, when you think about implementing strategies to improve your relationship, improve communication, improve your parenting, your co-parenting, everything, when it is split down the gender line, it's not sustainable because it doesn't allow for personal evolution or transformation. Yeah. One of the funny things we found was that couples who acted out traditional gender roles fared just as well as couples who did not, Mm -hmm. unless, and here's the big unless, unless Mm -hmm. they believed they were supposed to. As soon as you believe the gender roles 
are necessary, like that, that it actually is better to have a stay at home mom than a stay at home dad or mm-hmm. like any of those things. As soon as you believe gender roles are necessary, mm-hmm. then women's marital satisfaction goes down. So it's oh. not acting out traditional gender roles. that's the problem. It's believing that you're supposed to, because then you start to see yourself as categories rather than as individuals with your own unique giftings and personalities, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, that is so powerful. Gosh, that's so true. I mean, I'm not one who likes to feel obligated, feeling any kind of obligation just like throws out my spikes like a porcupine, but I know other people who aren't like that. So I just thought that I was weird, but I've come to understand I'm not weird. It's just unhealthy to feel this constant pressure of obligation really under any circumstance. And so that is so interesting that once you feel obligated, like you said, you put yourself in a category instead of being a human. And what you're doing is you're taking this beautiful thing that God created and you're reminding everybody that he created us in his image, which means that we don't need to dehumanize each other, that we can treat each other. We can treat each other with love and respect, but my husband needs love and respect. I also would like love and respect back, you know, because that's another thing. I'm somebody who thrives on receiving respect because I value my competency and my resiliency. And so when I receive respect, it means as much as love does. And so So I love that that's what you're doing is that you're taking this thing that's been so broken and so perversed, not just by mainstream culture, but by evangelical culture as well. And you're just placing it under God's wing where it belongs. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And what I think is so neat is that now we can put numbers to it because I think Mm -hmm. what's happened for the last 20 years is we've been debating ideas, like whose idea of marriage is better, whose idea of sex is better. And you can't Mm -hmm. get anywhere then because people will just say, well, I'm right. And now I can say, okay, well, you know what, if you want to believe that you can, Mm -hmm. but then her chance of orgasm goes down by 36%. So (laughs) so it's really nice to be able to have numbers. (laughs) You can, but here's the science of why you're wrong. So yay for science. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. We mm-hmm. say that in our house all the time. Yay for science. Believe the science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're all for mm-hmm. that. Oh, I love it. Well, I think that is a good place to wrap up. I just have a couple of questions that you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but I'm just curious about. Sure. Go ahead. How does your family feel about you being like, the great sex rescue author. Like, are they okay with it? Or is it awkward for them? Oh yeah. Well, actually one of my daughters is a co-author. So I did the book with, um, with two other, two other women because it was such a huge project. There's no way I could have done it myself and I didn't have the skill set. So I did most of the writing. My daughter, Rebecca, um, wrote the survey because she's a, she's trained in psychometrics. Um, okay. So survey development. So mm-hmm. she wrote the survey and then she did a lot of the editing and writing with me. And then Joanna Sawatsky, um, who's another millennial, young millennial, um, mm-hmm. she's an epidemiologist and statistician. So she ran all the numbers for us. Oh. And she's the one writing up all our peer review academic journal articles now too. So, so that we can get in peer review journals because yeah. we're just trying to raise the bar. We're trying to sure. raise the bar on what counts as Christian advice and say, Hey, let's do this. Right. So uh, yes. So this is your question. So my oldest daughter, who's 26 right now, so Uh she's my Uh co-author. My youngest daughter, who's 24, they're both married. Um, My youngest daughter edits all of our podcasts and which my daughter's often on with me. My husband's often on the podcast as well. And he writes some of the posts. So, and then my son-in-law does all the technical stuff. So we're all together in this. It's a very strange family. Oh, (laughs) no, I was actually, I was thinking (laughs) what a powerhouse of a team, like not just your family. Family, but then you said her name is Joanne. 
the Joanna Swatsky. Joanna, yeah. Mm-hmm. And to be epidemiologist mm-hmm. and a statistician. I mean, that just sounds like a powerhouse. And and to raise mm-hmm. the bar and to take on this in the Christian mm-hmm. culture takes a team of lions, mm-hmm. you know, a team of you who are just committed and unafraid. And so I think that's great. Um, yeah. Can I ask how you, I'm such a nerd. How did you survey people? Like, where did you mm-hmm. find them? How did you get 20,000 yeah. women to answer these questions? Um, so I have a very large newsletter list and a large social media platform. So roughly 40% of them came from my own list. We really wanted to make sure that we got people from outside my circle as well. Mm-hmm. So we created, I think we had 230 unique links that people could use so that we could measure where people came from. And we gave rewards to, to any readers who sent people to the survey. Okay. Um, so we got like, we probably got another 20% just from regular people sharing the link or 25%. Mm-hmm. And then um, we had a lot of bloggers and influencers. We had about 85 bloggers and influencers um, sharing the link as well from all sides of the, of the um, ideological spectrum. Because mm-hmm. the whole point was that we needed to be able to compare people with different beliefs. Oh, so sure. we couldn't survey 20,000 people who all believe the same thing or else we would have nothing to compare. Oh, so yeah. we needed to get like super conservative and super liberal. Like mm-hmm. we have every denomination pretty much in there from Anglican to like independent fundamentalist Baptist. Like we got everything. Oh, it's really I love it. I was a sociology major mm-hmm. in college and I got an A oh, in statistics. Too, yeah. oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so I mm-hmm. love that kind of stuff. And I just love knowing where it all comes from. And Mm -hmm. so I think it is a beautiful thing what you're doing. And I am proud to stand next to you and behind you while you do that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, My last question that I ask everyone is because the podcast is called Praise Through It. What is praiseworthy for you today? Oh, I think, well, I guess we already talked about this, but I mean, for me, it's just so nice every morning, like I get to talk to my daughter and I get to see my grandson on video, but like we plan out the day and she helps me think through things. And I was just having a really difficult day yesterday with just some negative feedback that we're getting from a lot of the stakeholders. It's like every woman who and man who reads my book loves it. Pastors are using it, counselors are using it, but the big name authors and the organizations and the media doesn't like us because we're taking on you know, huge things. Right. So I get a lot of stuff behind the scenes and it's just really great. Like every morning to be able to just have a team that actually gets it and can support me. And so, yeah, I'm just thankful for that. All right, I know you enjoyed that last half an hour. You can tell that I did too. If you want to connect with Sheila and her work beyond today, head to the show notes to find links to her Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, her blog, To Love, Honor, and Vacuum, her website, and her podcast called The Bear Marriage Podcast. I am truly grateful for the time that you have spent here with me this summer. In just a few weeks, we'll kick back up with our regular episodes of Praise Through It, where it's just me solo talking, and each episode being a topic, a daily struggle that we all work through at one point or another. In the meantime, find me on Instagram as Elisa Preston, and on my website, elisapreston.com. 
And if you're up for it, could you do me a favor and take a moment and leave a review for this podcast? It really helps creators out and it gets our message out to more folks when they see other people like you who are listening and enjoying already. And one more thing, I'll be kicking off Enneagram coaching services starting October 1st. I will be a certified Enneagram coach and I will be helping people understand people, which is what the Enneagram has really done for me. If you don't know that word, Enneagram, head to the show notes for more info or to my website and you'll find it. If you do know that word and you're into learning more, there's a free overview that I created for you and it's linked in the show notes again and on my website. And if you're interested in what coaching services would look like, shoot me an email at hello at alisapreston.com. Thank you again for joining me this summer. I've had a blast. I'll see you Monday for the weekly blessing. Happy September.